Thanks so much, Tim. It's great to see you, everyone here on the St. Dee's YouTube feed. It's wonderful to know that you are all connected through the power of the Holy Spirit and the communion of saints. Even though we're all in our own homes, no doubt, it's great to know that uh, the Lord is knitting us all together. And um, we believe that he's prepared works in advance for us to do, both individually and as a church. And as I wrap up tonight's Ascend series, this is really, you know, the way, the, 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 the start of the year, we're trying to get on the front foot uh, for all God is going to do, despite the circumstances we find ourselves in. And um, I titled this talk, Time to Go, which sounds ridiculous, given the fact that we're in this strange circumstance and we can't go anywhere. But I really want to encourage you to think about getting on the front foot uh, and being ready to go. We've um, been using these climbing analogies over the last month and I'm going to be referring to a bit of climbing later on. But so important that we're ready and prepped to make a move. You know, I'm constantly um, horrified and amazed about how adaptable we are as human beings. We have this remarkable ability to settle in pretty much anywhere. Uh, me and my wife Louie have lived in London since 2004 and our first flat, uh, we lived right next door to a taxi run. It was just a tiny little rat run for taxis and cabs would shoot down there the whole time. And then there was the ambulance run from St Mary's Hospital and they would zoom through with their um, sirens going all the time. And even though it was super noisy, we loved it and settled in brilliantly. And we thought it was really peaceful. Apart from when my parents came down, they were like, oh my goodness, how do you sleep at night with all of these sirens and all these taxi cabs? We were like, oh, I didn't, I didn't really notice. Uh, and then we moved into the flight path of Heathrow Airport. And every 14 seconds, a plane lands at Heathrow Airport in normal time. And, and, and you can see them in the morning, stacked up in the horizon, if you look towards the east, coming into land. And, and, and you know, the noise is tremendous, but I don't hear it. And parents come and stand in our garden and go, not another plane. And you're like, uh, yeah, there'll be another one in uh, about 10, 10 seconds. Because we edit out the struggle. We just don't feel the pain anymore. It's not just innocuous things either, like planes and, and, and taxis. We have a dear neighbor who we moved in next door to, and I discovered after living there for a little while that there was a tree that had grown through his toilet bathroom on the ground floor. Uh, it had grown through the roof from the side, uh, and now my dear neighbor kept his toilet roll in a glass jar to stop it getting wet when it rained. Now, it takes an awful long time for a tree to grow. It's, it's amazing that, that that was the circumstance that he's living in. And what had been inconceivable had now become unnotable. If I'd said to him, look, you know, you're going to have to keep your toilet roll in a glass jar because rain's going to come through your bathroom roof. He would have looked at me and thought, no way. But somehow over time, what was inconceivable to him became unnotable. It was just normal. Now, the context of our reading today is that Moses has died and Joshua has been leading the people of Israel on the final leg of their journey from slavery in Egypt to freedom in the promised land. And, you know, they've been going for 40 years. And um, it's amazing to me that despite the horrors of slavery in Egypt, the Israelites on the road so often wanted to go back. They, they were like, you know, take me back to Egypt, Moses. Uh, in Egypt, at least I had, you know, fresh water and, you know, had food to eat and, you know, had a job. 
He had, he had a job. You were a slave. Don't you remember the hundreds of years of slavery, the, the death, the suffering, the struggle, why we left in the first place? It's remarkable that their experience, which at the time was unconscionable, now is unnotable. I, I, I think I was better off in Egypt. I, I was better off in that place of suffering and struggle. Oh, that was my home and I just got used to it. I edited out the noise. I edited out the screams. I edited out the suffering. It just became comfortable to me. What's behind me doesn't feel half as threatening as what's in front of me. So after 40 long years of nomadic journey, the Israelites are now within touching distance of their goal in this story in, in Joshua chapter 3. And you would have thought if you'd spent 40 years in the desert and you can suddenly see the River Jordan and the promised land just on the other side, you'd be rushing down that hill. But instead they get stuck on the plains of Moab to the east of the Jordan River for another month in a place called Shittam. You could say that they were stuck up Shittam's Creek for a month and had nowhere good to go. And so is true for many of us. We're, we're stuck in a place looking towards something great, but somehow we've got bedded in. What was inconsumable has become unnotable. I wonder if you've uh, taken a trip with friends down to the beach. Maybe you've driven down to Brighton and with a group from the 5 p.m. service, do a little road trip with your mates. Maybe you got stuck in traffic on the M3 on the way down there. You spent three hours slogging it through and you finally got to Brighton. Did you park your car at that car park at the top of the hill and watch the sea for another hour and a half? Of course you didn't. You parked the car, you grabbed your towel and you ran down to the beach to get your sand between your toes and to dabble your feet into the sea. So often, we're just not ready to move. Here, the Israelites are stuck east of the Jordan for another month. So let's pick up the story in Joshua 3, and I'm reading verses 1 to 7. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittam and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went through the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow. Then you will know which way to go, since you've never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all of Israel so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. The Kurt Letwin change management model has just three steps. Unfreeze, transition, refreeze. It's a bit pessimistic, but it's pretty realistic. The reality of the human condition is we're often frozen in position. It takes a huge amount to help us change or transition, often reluctantly, and then we found ourselves frozen again. One of the greatest challenges of life is not moving too quickly. It's not moving at all. And you know, we've been through a huge amount of pain and struggle this last 12 months. I don't need to tell you that. It, it, it unfroze us from a way of living 
and we've transitioned rapidly and pivoted dynamically, but the danger now is that we end up getting frozen in new circumstance, that we believe this reality to be a new normal. We get stuck in this place of stasis. What's been inconceivable suddenly becomes unnotable. In 2006, Louis, my wife and I, climbed the highest mountain in Southeast Asia. This is bragging rights over Tim, who's been talking about all the mountains he's been climbing recently. But it's 13,500 feet. I say that because that sounds better than the meters. But you climb it in two stages. You climb up to 10,000 feet and then you have to camp the night. And then the morning, really the crack of dawn, about 3 a.m., you do the summit. And then it takes a whole day to get back down to the bottom again. And so me and Lou have been climbing all day. We're pretty exhausted and we arrived at this camp called Laban Rata at 10,000 feet. And honestly, it was the most miserable mountain camp you can ever imagine. Partly because the temperature in Southeast Asia is that much higher. You know, alpine huts tend to have a kind of alpine cleanliness about them. This hut was really stinky. I mean, horrible. Cockroaches everywhere. The toilets were just off the chain, totally insanitary. You really didn't want to go near anything or touch anything. And the whole place had this just smell of like toil and sweat and filthy socks. And really, you just wanted to just lie there and just like hunker down and get out there as quickly as possible. Louis was like, literally, she didn't want to stop. <laughs> she didn't want to sleep. She just wanted to kind of sum it straight away just so she could avoid the lose at Laban Rata. But when we woke up in the morning to begin our summit, I was afraid. I was fearful. Suddenly, this kind of horrible setup just didn't seem so bad anymore. You know, the toilets are pretty filthy and insanitary, but I'm sure they're worth toilets in the world. And, and you know, there are quite a lot of cockroaches, but hey, you know, they've got to live somewhere. And, you know, it's basic, but it's, it's all right. I started convincing myself that, you know, maybe I've climbed high enough. Maybe I should just stay put at 10,000 feet. Just, yeah, refreeze. Well, Louis wasn't up for that plan. So we headed out the door and we summited that mountain. and It was so worth it. But, you know, the fear of what was ahead of me disabled me, nearly left me frozen in stasis. I wonder whether you feel like that today, whether the fear, the challenge of all that's happened to us can leave us frozen. You know, it's absolutely good and right that we are all staying at home right now. We all really believe that on our leadership team and the diocese believe that. You know, we have this amazing privilege of having an officially open church, which I think is the right thing because the church offers so much to the world. We never want a, a shut church. But at the same time, we're doing the right thing by making sure that we protect one another by running our church live uh, online for you right now. But I want to conclude this Ascent series with a prophetic challenge to the church that after all we've been through this year, after all the loss, after all the struggle, after all the change, we don't end up refreezing into inaction and end up camped up at Shittam's Creek rather than down in the Jordan Valley where God has called us. A year ago, it would have been inconceivable that churches would be empty and that you'd be watching the service independently from your living rooms. We have to be careful that that doesn't become unnotable. You know, the reality is that 
God has called our church to be a gathered church. That something supernatural happens when we stand side by side, face to face. I know it's comfortable to have your slippers on right now. I know that you don't want to wear them to church. It can be great to be wearing your pajamas in the afternoon, and that's fantastic, but but actually you don't really want to wear them to church. And it's great to jump onto the live stream just that half an hour late and choose the time that works for you, but that's still not really the commitment of church. You know, the danger is that we end up allowing what was inconstable to become unnotable, and, and we find instead that it serves us and our way of living and our, our way of working in an individualized and independent world when God has called us together to be family, to live a different way. You know, this mini-series has been all about preparing to cross into all that God has planned for us in the year ahead and beyond. It's like the three days that Joshua had to prepare the people by the water's edge. We need to ready ourselves so that when restrictions allow, we know that it's time to go. You know, if we were at base camp Everest right now and the weather was bad, we wouldn't just lounge around in our tents, in our sleeping bags, eating all our chocolate and you know, using up all the oxygen and saying, oh, I'll be all right. Maybe in a month's time when the weather window opens, we'll just stroll out of this tent and climb that mountain. If you're at that base camp every day, you're doing your press-ups and your sit-ups and, and you're doing your acclimatization walks and you're making sure you're in peak condition because when the window opens, you've got to go. Uh, we want you, Christian brothers and sisters, to be in peak spiritual condition so that when this weather window opens, the church can move, we can grow, we can go and fulfill the mission that God has called us to, to reach a broken and hurting world in his name. I want you to be ready to move right now because who knows when the opportunity will arise. So how do we prepare? Well, firstly, we need to ensure that the vision we have of the future is a bigger draw than the comfort of the present and our courage greater than the fear of the challenge. You know, Beckhard and Harris's formula for change is when dissatisfaction with the status quo is multiplied by a vision for the future, and that again is multiplied by your first steps of action, when that, those three multiples are greater than your fear of change itself, you'll change. Just get this, if that was a scale, look how much you've got to load onto this side of the scale to begin to get the scale to tip. Remember freeze, transition, refreeze? This is, we've got to multiply our dissatisfaction with the now with a vision for the future plus actual steps to change. Only when we have those three multiplied together will we have enough weight to see our stasis shift. Now we have to carry vision and we have to acknowledge that we need courage, especially now. Right now, in the midst of all this, it's easy to lose vision and to lose courage. And that's why the first chapter of Joshua is so filled with vision and courage teaching. In verse 1 to 6, 1 and 6, for example, it says, Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. I mean, that's just one verse. There are about nine verses in the first chapter of Joshua, which all say the same thing. Be strong and courageous. 
And, and this is the land that I've sworn to my forefathers to give you. Now, that's the vision. Here's the land I've sworn to give to your forefathers. And now be strong and courageous. God doesn't repeat himself unless he needs to. He doesn't say to Joshua, because Joshua was already strong and courageous, oh, be strong and courageous nine times. He says be strong and courageous because Joshua is feeling weak and scared. He needs to have a vision of the promised land and he has to have courage greater than his fear of the future. And he has to take real steps if there's going to be real change. We need a real vision for what God has called us to as a church. We believe that he's revealed that. He's been revealing that for the last 15 years of Tim's ministry. He's been revealing that to me over this last year of being connected to St. Dee's. We're excited. I mean, Tim comes in, and, although he can't high-five me at the moment, he sort of air-high-fives me. You know, we, 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 we are pumped for what God is going to do. We have a vision for what God is going to do here in Fulham, in Parsons Green, and, 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 and further afield. We want you to know there is a vision for growing the kingdom of God here. We want to be part of it. Catch the vision. We're all afraid. I'm afraid. You're afraid. Tim's afraid. Joe's afraid. Louis's afraid. We're all afraid. But God's saying, have courage. Be strong and courageous because I've got a vision and I want you to fulfill it. Make no mistake as well that crossing the Jordan was life. It, it was a chance to live. Not crossing the Jordan was not another option. The reality is that the Israelites could have not bothered crossing. They could have camped up at Shittim's Creek or just camped by the side of the river for a bit longer, maybe a couple of months. That's quite comfortable here. You know, I quite like it. You know, I'm getting used to the kind of the rippling waves of the Jordan and a little view into the promised land where I'll, where I'll go at some point in the future probably. I wouldn't have worked. They were at risk. They were in a valley. And there was a natural rise behind them. There was the, the, the plains of Moab up behind them. And then there was the river and flood beside them. And they had enemies all around them. So the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Canaanites. They would have come and they would have crushed the Israelites. They had nowhere to run. If the national church assimilates to the landscape of lockdown... It won't look dramatic to start with. It, it, will, it will look fine. It will look safe and normal, like camping by the side of the River Jordan. Oh, you know, this is just how we do church. Everyone online, everyone in their pyjamas, you know, high-fiving one another in the air, writing a few things in the chat. It's great. I'm part of a church. I get up when I like. I have toast whilst I'm watching church. Kids run around or housemates, you know, we play a bit of pool, listen to the sermon in the background. It's great. I feel so fed. God hasn't called us to an individuated church. He's called us to a unified church. He's not called us all to be separate parts of a body. He's called us to be the body. He's not called us to be little twigs. He's called us to be part of a great vine. He's called us together. And ultimately, God's called us not to maintenance, but to mission. He's called us to go. He hasn't asked us to set up camp, but to step out in faith. A living church is a moving church. It's a growing church. And that's why he's called us to prepare to ascend now, even though the weather window hasn't opened up for us just yet. The second thing we need to do to prepare is to grow up. We just need to grow up. 
You know, in verse 4, it lays down a very significant challenge. It says, then you will know which way to go since you've never been this way before. My kids keep saying to me, Dad, and what's going to happen? I'm like, kids, I love you, but I've got no idea. And they're like, Dad, when is schools going to open again? Uh, don't know. Probably around Easter. Dad, um, will we be able to go away on holiday? Um, don't know. Dad, when can I stop wearing a face mask? Yeah, uh, I'm not sure about that. Dad, don't you know anything? No, I've never been this way before. I've got no idea how to go. You know, Joshua here is in a new season. The people of Israel are in a new season because up to now, they've had a, a couple of very distinctive things. One is, when they're walking in the daytime, there's a massive pillar of holy cloud in front of them, showing them exactly where to go, but also demonstrating the power and presence of God physically with them. And then at nighttime, if they're a little scared, they just need to look up in the sky and see a massive pillar of holy fire burning in the sky. And then if they're really not sure, they can just look around and see Moses, mega man of God, who's like performed all sorts of amazing miracles you know, you know, in, in Egypt and ultimately set them free and gives them a huge amount of confidence. And so generally they're walking in a direction that they feel pretty comfortable with, or at least confident with. But here suddenly Moses is dead. Joshua's this young, untested leader. And actually there's no more pillar of cloud or pillar of fire what they've got instead is the Ark of Covenant, which is a massive wooden box, beautifully carved, and inside are two large stone tablets that contain uh, the Ten Commandments. Now, God's asking the people of Israel to grow up. You've got to start following the priests that have been appointed. And actually, you've got to follow the leader that I have appointed. We, we can all want an individuated journey. Oh, I just, I need God to tell me where I should go. I, I'm just going to like, you know, make my own plans with supernatural stuff. You know, find a way of working. And oh, I don't know if I agree with, with what Tim's saying or with what Will's saying. I, I like shopping around church-wise. I don't really want to commit to any particular leader or any particular church. I like the church in general. I don't really participate in any particular movement going anywhere right now. I'll watch which one goes furthest fastest and then I'll join that one. Or maybe I'll choose the one that goes slowest fastest. Does that make sense? You know, the danger is that, that we don't grow up. You know, one of the things I want you to do as a result of this talk is to commit you know, it's amazing to me while I meet people, I say, oh, I enjoying church. Oh, yes, but I haven't really made up my mind yet. What do you mean you haven't made up your mind? You're part of the family. Not part of the family yet. You know, I, I, we need to grow up. We need to commit. If we're going to cross the river, we need to commit. God is saying to Joshua, you need to step out in faith. And he's saying to the people, you need to watch what the priests are calling you to do. You need to watch the Ark of the Covenant, which is my law. And you need to follow it because you've never been this way before. Right now, everyone is lost. Everyone is afraid. But God is saying, I'm still with you. You might not see me in fire and cloud, but I'm still with you. This is my law. This is my word. Do not depart from it to the left or to the right. And these are my priests. I've called you to follow. Now, will you step out in faith? Will you move in behind Joshua 3 verse 3, 
Joshua's instructions. When you see the Ark of the Covenant and the priests carry it, move out and follow it. Will you move out and follow this year? Will you commit? Will you cross? Thirdly, we need holiness. Holiness really matters. We are called to personal and corporate holiness. That is to shape our lives and to be shaped in our lives in the image of God. Before the Israelites could cross, Joshua commands them in verse 5, consecrate yourselves. Consecrate yourselves. Make yourselves right before the Lord. But the Hebrew word for consecrate, kadash, appears three times here in Joshua. It's significant not only because it means sanctify yourselves, as in make yourselves holy before the Lord. It also means separate yourself from your past. Now, you could say that those two things are synonymous with one another. You know, when we are sanctified, we're separated from our sin. We're separated from our past. But it doesn't just mean our personal sin. It means separate yourself from your personal history. The River Jordan signified a a physical barrier between the period of the Exodus and the period of the Temple in Scripture. Up to this point, it had all been Exodus, all about leaving Egypt. But at this point, it's all about inhabiting the Promised Land and being worshippers in the Temple of God. This was the moment at which the people had to decide whether they were wedded to their history or whether they were wedded to their future. You know, this is so important for us in church. People complained about organs. No one believes this, but people used to complain about organs being installed in churches. You can't install an organ, that newfangled instrument. It's a disgrace. We want the traditional violins in our church, please. They they had violins, and then they thought organs were newfangled equipment that were damaging to worship. Now, you try and take a an organ out of a church, you could start a riot. I don't want a newfangled guitar, I want the organ. And after the newfangled guitar, there'll be another sort of instrument, probably something electronic. I want a guitar. Now, we allow our history to dictate our future. God's saying, actually, at this point, are you going to allow, are you, are you wedded to your history or are you wedded to my future? The people of Israel have been so wedded to their history in slavery, they're in bond to it. They're still turning around, looking back to Egypt and thinking, oh, maybe that was better. Maybe we should just go back. I know it's been 40 years, but you know, maybe we should go back and set up our homes. You know, maybe Pharaoh will welcome us in and you know, we can eat figs again. It'll be great. You've got to decide, are you ready to cross the Jordan or are you going to set up camp on the wrong side? Are you going to go back into your history? At the end of verse 5, it states, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things amongst you. It's not today. It's not yesterday. It's tomorrow. Tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things amongst you. You know, me and Tim, we believe that for St. Dionys Church. We believe that tomorrow God is going to do amazing things amongst us. But we've got to ask you, are you wedded to your history or are you wedded to God's future? Are you ready to move? Because you can see that's what's before you is greater than what's behind you. Yes, it's scary. Yes, it's unknown. But the Lord is calling his church forward and saying it's time to move. It's time to capture vision. It's time to take courage. 
It's time to take small steps to realize the church, to mobilize the church and to see all that God has envisioned us realized in the months and years ahead. This is a season of reformation before a season of revelation where we're seeking God's heart for justice, his compassion for the poor. We want to see our church alive for mission, people coming to faith. There's a load of people on Alpha at the moment. It's amazing. People coming to faith in Jesus. We want to see our life groups grown and multiplied. We want to see new leaders rise up and say, yeah, I, I want to lead. We, we want to see our AV team grow. We want to see our justice ministry grow. We want to see people in Parsons Green who are in poverty, who are disconnected, having their needs met through the service of the church. We want to release emotional mental health ministry into our community. We, we all want to see more homeless people being fed here through glass door. We want to see our mission pastors, past partners like IJM. We want to see their ministry grow and be more successful. You know, we want to see our worship team flourish and you know, more worship, more opportunities here there's so much we want to see God has released vision to us and he's releasing vision to you but are you wedded to your history or are you wedded to God's future we want to see a move of his Holy Spirit that releases us to move finally you need to know you're going to get cold feet the yeah, the priests are getting ready to move. They've got to go and stand in a river in flood with a massive wooden sarcophagus full of two huge solid sewn stabs. It doesn't sound like a great deal. And you've got to go a thousand yards ahead of everyone else, stand in the middle of the river, and you're not allowed to move till everyone else has crossed, like a whole nation has crossed the river. You're going to get cold feet. It's going to feel frightening. It's going to be scary. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be difficult. At some point or other, you think, oh, I don't really like this. I don't really want this maybe I've made a mistake but you know the most important thing is not worrying about getting cold feet is deciding to get wet feet when you decide in your heart that yeah this is going to be challenging and you might doubt and you might be afraid but you're going to get in the water anyway everything changes now, when those uh, priests took that sarcophagi into the center of the River Jordan, when they carried the Ark of the Covenant, the water backed up upstream. You know, the, the, the river became dry, and all of Israel passed beside them. The Lord has got a plan to make a way for us, to make a way for his church to grow and flourish in the year ahead. They might look like this, this flooding barrier in front of us that's going to stop us from moving, but ultimately this is God's mission and God's power will be demonstrated in his church. But we've got to commit now to say, I want to be ready to move. I want to be ready to move. I want to be part of the plan. Unless we go, we'll never see the presence of God move. I don't want to dine. I don't know about you, but... I'm fed up of dining out on stories about, you know, stuff that's happened in the Christian near history. I'm a child of the 1970s. You know, I guess I experienced a bit of the kind of move of God and Wimber and all those things that happened in Toronto, the blessing, all this stuff. Amazing. Like, and I had a little taste of some of that stuff. It's incredible. I'm just fed up, though. I'm fed up talking about stuff that happened in the 1980s and 1990s. This is 2021. I want to talk about what God's doing today. I want to talk about what God's going to do tomorrow. I want to see God on the move in our lives right now. 
I want to step into all that God's got for his church in 2030 and 2040 and beyond. Let's not keep dining out on stories of old stuff that's happened. Like the Israelites could have done that. Do you remember the time when we made the sour water sweet? Oh, yes, that was amazing. Do you remember the time when he hit the rock with a staff? Oh, yeah, that was a good one. Do you remember the plague of locusts and boils? Oh, yes, I remember those. It's time to cross the river. It's time to say goodbye to history and hello to God's future together. It's trying to expect, it's time to expect all of God's power to be manifest in the years ahead for each and every one of us. Growing in faith, not looking back, looking forward. Ultimately, we've got to decide, firstly tonight, are you going to commit to move? I want to ask you, and if you're not going to commit to some these, please commit to somewhere. Commit to somewhere. Don't, don't spend time just surfing the church channels. Just pray to the Lord, Lord, where shall I commit myself? Where shall I put my heart? If you're not going to put it here, put it somewhere. But if you are going to put it here, put it all here. I'm in. I'm committed. I'm going to commit with my whole heart. I want to step into the water. Secondly, we need to commune. That means we're called to a communion of saints. Not just vertically, but horizontally. Commune with one another. I know it's hard, but pick up the phone this week. Talk to another Christian friend. Maybe they're struggling. Ask them how they're doing. Offer to pray for them over the phone. Join a life group. Get on a Zoom call. Do something to commune with others. And, and, and thirdly and finally, I, w- I want you to contribute. And you, know, you will only know you're in when you decide to make a contribution. Like, you know, I know people make contributions. They make contributions when they're committed. Like when you commit to something, you contribute to it. When you commune with others, you contribute. And then contribution is just normal and natural. You know, we're all going through a difficult time right now. Everyone is. It's challenging. Financially, it's challenging. It's challenging for us as a church. But we believe in everything that God set before us. So we're asking you tonight to do three simple things. First one is commit. You do that in your heart. Secondly is commune. You do that on the telephone with others right now. And thirdly, you contribute. And you can do that in a number of ways, but I would suggest that you contribute financially. Jesus says, you know, where, where our money is, our heart is also. And so why don't you make this message real by setting up a standing order to St. Diana's Church. You can do it online tonight as a sign. It could be for five pounds a month. I mean, it wouldn't be the biggest commitment you've ever made, but it's a commitment at least. What I want you to do is to actually do something a small step that demonstrates you're in, you're ready to move, and you're expectant for all that God has set before us. Let's take a moment now as we invite his Holy Spirit to come to respond. Maybe you're on the sofa, I'd invite you to stand in your own living room or your own kitchen. Just open your hands and allow God's Spirit to speak to you. Let's be open to him right now as Connor and the band come back. Jesus, we recognize our need for you. We're afraid, just like Joshua was afraid. We see this huge barrier before us. But Lord, we're not going to sit tight on the wrong side of the river. Tonight, we want to commit. We've decided, Lord, we want to move. We're committed to one another, to you, to your vision. 
And Lord, we want to thank you for the gift of commitment that enables us to carry vision together. We don't want to consume anymore. We want to be part of all you're doing. Secondly, Lord, we want to thank you for our church. We want to thank you for one another. And we want to pray, Jesus, that you build our communion, even in these strange, dislocated times. And finally, Lord, we want to take Beckhard and Harris's motivation forward. We want to do something practical. We want to contribute. And we pray by your Holy Spirit, you'd speak to us and give revelation to our hearts about how we can contribute something to the kingdom work to which you've called each and every one of us so pray right now holy spirit would you touch and fill and energize and excite your people to the mission and the ministry of your church into the years and decades ahead of us in jesus name amen